Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. McGurk! I love Not typing. Not messing my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are live and wired on the Supergirl Radio Facebook page and the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel to go back in time. Since Morgan didn't review Supergirl episodes as a full-time co-host of Supergirl Radio until World's Finest, which aired in March of 2016, we are revisiting the first season to get Morgan's thoughts. This week, we will be discussing episode 10 of season one titled childish things and uh since we don't have any news to go over i guess we should just go ahead jump in the legion cruiser go back to 2016 and talk about the first appearance of a toy man because this is a pretty uh monumental thing toy man connected to several characters uh in the series so i'm excited morgan to get your thoughts on toy man and this depiction of him so i guess we will go back in time to 2016 and i'll see you uh back in the past 2016 different time it feels a different different time so so long ago (laughs) it feels feels weird being in the past but here we are in uh january 18 uh uh, january 18th 2016 so here's the official description of childish things quote Kara does her best to support win when his father the supervillain toy man breaks out of prison and seeks out his son for unknown reasons also cat offers lucy a job at catco and alex asks hank to use his powers to help uncover Maxwell Lord's plans, unquote. Uh, it's it's interesting to me, just looking at the uh, description here, that they are still referring to Jean as Hank in this mm-hmm. description and not referring to him as Jean, even though he has already outed himself in the episode. So interesting. I don't know if this was Veronica in season one or if, or if this is Veronica's know. counterpart at CBS. I think Veronica might have come in on the CW side. But. I, yeah, I think Veronica was on the CW side. This was this was uh, like the CBS version of Veronica. I'm not sure. Betty, I guess. Yes, let's uh, go with Betty. <laughs> and, and Betty was like, listen, <laughs> I know it's been revealed that he's Jean, but like let's like, let's Keep this going in the description. <laughs> because, like, maybe somebody missed that episode and they'll be like, I don't know what's going on. The description didn't tell me. <laughs> the Be- Betty was really watching out for all of us. She was, she was looking, you know, for the, she was looking out for those people who are, are weary of, 
uh, spoilers. She didn't want to give anything away. So <laughs> that's exactly yeah. it. Thank yeah. you, Betty. <laughs> Thank you, Betty, for that. So, uh, Betty and Veronica doing their thing with the <laughs> descriptions of these episodes. Uh, so this episode was uh, introducing Toy Man as a character within the Supergirl universe. So, Morgan, I'm curious, what were your thoughts uh, on Toy Man? Winslow sh- uh, shot Senior as played by Henry Cherney. Uh, what did you think about him? I'm so excited that you looked up the correct pronunciation of his name because I was like watching the episode and I was like, I can't wait to talk about Henry. And then I was like, <gasps> I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> I knew that there were like C's and there were Z's and they were <laughs> everywhere. And I was like, I can't do it. And then I, I told myself, I said, Morgan, you've got hours. You can just like find an interview. You'll know how to pronounce his name. You'll come prepared. For once in your life, you'll come prepared. <laughs> and do you know that I did not watch those interviews? <laughs> I did not look it up. And I was not prepared. But you were. <laughs> so I really like him as the toy man. I think he has really carved out a niche as an actor, as like the uh, unpleasant father uh, the, rich, uh, the rich, unpleasant father, mostly. But this one, he's slumming it a little bit. He's not yeah. super rich here. So that felt different for him. That, that was a new flavor <laughs> for him. And I was like, I don't know. I prefer you rich. Yeah. But because uh, he was on the uh, the great show Revenge. Revenge was- that we always wanted to pull cast members from. Yes. Anyone and- from Revenge. <laughs> Come on over. I really wanted Emily Van Camp to like come over and you think that she's like a hero and she's part of the team and then she hugs Kara and her eyes go dead and she just stares off into the middle distance and then you see her like Xing out Kara's face <laughs> in a picture and it's like, uh-oh, revenge time. But <laughs> she's on her vigilante-ish. She's uh, <laughs> Uh, which would have been amazing. But I actually just watched a, I mean, horror, I think is kind of a light term for this movie. It was not really a horror movie, more like an action, kind of like a dark action comedy uh, called Ready or Not, where he plays, again, the rich, awful father of a family (laughs) (laughs) and was incredible. And the premise of that movie is that like, once somebody gets married and gets uh, like, inducted into the family they have to play a game but if they uh get uh randomly get assigned the wrong game the game is basically like the most dangerous game oh, and this, the whole family not, hunts them yeah this is not worth it i, I don't think you need to <laughs> to be part of this family i think you gotta get no, out of that family no you're gonna want to get on out of there but <laughs> But he was playing a very like he was playing to to type in that movie. So when I saw him, I had forgotten that he was Toy Man in this. And I was like, oh, man, that that poor guy has gotten typecast. I want to see that guy. I want to see that guy play a romantic comedy or something. Like, (laughs) I think he could do it. Let that man do a Hallmark movie or something. I feel like he would bring like a menacing energy to the the romantic comedy that might be fun and weird. Like, Like. I don't know if I want her to get together with him. What's going on? <laughs> so anyway, that was a long journey to say. I do love Henry uh, Cherney. Cherney. Like, like churning butter is how ah, I think about it. 
And uh, yeah. and I thought he did a great job as uh, as Toy Man in this one. I also like that they gave him like the glasses. He just seemed he he has a good uh, the actor has a good way of playing like uh, an evil father where you like you do feel like he loves his children just like not more than he loves like money or blowing up toys or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and I do feel like I I felt like he cared about Win but more is kind of like an extension of himself and his like own genius and less of like an independent person who wants him to stop blowing up toys <laughs> <laughs> well he did tell Win that they were they were linked and that they were the same they were the same person and that it would be okay if they went to jail as long as they went to jail together. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. that, that was his, uh, that was the most fatherly love. I think that he really <laughs> genuinely put into that, which that was, was very creepy. That was one of my favorite bits from the episode because when was like, well, like if I kill him in front of everybody, like they're going to see me do it. They're going to arrest me. And he's like, and it's going to be great. Listen, <laughs> I know you think to yourself, prison is terrible. And mostly it is. But I started the best book club. <laughs> and you can pick the next book. <laughs> like, I just liked the idea of him thinking up all these like father-son activities that they're going to do in prison. He's like, son, we can throw around a ball again. Wins like, I don't want to do that, Dad. <laughs> I go to prison. I don't want to kill someone. I don't want to go to jail. And I don't want to spend that time with you. Uh, <laughs> and like, and like Toy Man is like, well, you are being a little bit selfish right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh this Toy Man ha actually had a lot of Easter eggs. So what I love about this episode and what I love about this portion of season one. Um, is that they really try to be very faithful to these characters and these adaptations. Um, you see uh, several uh, creepy little dolls that are very uh, Toy Man-esque. He does wear the glasses that are very indicative of Toy Man. He uses a uh, throwing star yo-yo, you know, so he has these toy gadgets. And um, one of the things I really loved, because when we did our uh, Supergirl Radio character spotlight on Toy Man a while back, I've got it linked <laughs> in the video description below, and I'll have it in the audio podcast show notes. If you have not heard that, uh, I really um, encourage you to, to listen to it, because we do go in depth <clears throat> about Toy Man, and not just the Winslow shot version of Toy Man. There are actually three versions of Toy Man, and one of them is uh, Jack Nimble, and he's a jester-like character, and that character shows up in the form of the little toy that gets brought to Wynn's desk at Catco that says something to the effect of, oh, meet, meet at our favorite place or whatever. So um, the show really made an effort to learn the history of the Toy Man character and incorporate that into the episode, even if it was just through an Easter egg. Um, so I really appreciated that, that it wasn't just them, you know, in, in later seasons of the show, they would use comic book characters to uh, uh, present their agenda of the world <laughs> to the audience. In my opinion, uh, they would be, make it more about what they wanted to say, not uh, what they wanted to tell about the character. And so season one is such a contrast to that. And so that it's one of the things that I, I find really 
special about season one is that they really made an effort to learn that comic book history and make sure that they knew what they were doing. So I, I, I even revisiting that, I just, I relished in all of those uh, toy man esque things that they put in there. Cause I think it helps inform the audience about some of that comic book history, even if they haven't uh, <laughs> dug into all of the Wikipedia sections uh, like I have. So I thought that that was really cool. Yeah, I really liked that they, you know, they brought in some of the comic book lore. And it did feel like in season one, at least, when they brought in characters. Now, this is not only uh, always true. And this episode is actually kind of a good example of the opposite. But uh, often when they would bring in characters like uh, like Hank Henshaw or, you know, um, when shot, I remember before the show premiered when we got the character breakdowns it's like oh, is he gonna become toy man oh is he gonna become you know so we had i feel like they played with those expectations of like the comic book fans in the first couple episodes before they sort of revealed what they were actually doing with the characters because i think there was a lot of like speculation like is win gonna go evil because of like this the this unrequited feelings for Kara. And I think in this episode is when they were like, no, like the toy man is actually his father. That's the evil one. And like he's, you know, he's dealing with the repercussions of that. But I do think that it was nice that they had those comic book nods and kind of played with those expectations. Yeah, they uh they do settle that the the real toy man that everybody expects is Wynn's dad. Uh, but when does in later seasons become a toy man uh, for for the Legion of Superheroes? Uh, if I remember correctly, he adopts the name for himself. Yeah, I think and you're right. The toy man, uh, which is still kind of weird to me, but he's redeeming it. Makes, it. it makes sense. Okay, <laughs> taking uh, it back. <laughs> he's reclaiming it and, and turning it on its head to to be a positive thing instead of a menacing, evil, villainous uh, killer of. Uh, innocent people and children. Uh, so that I guess is a good thing in the end. Uh, but yeah, this toy man I thought was great. And the only downside to it, and I guess this was because they didn't have the time or they couldn't get Henry Cherney back, or um, maybe they wanted to go in a different direction. They lost Callista Flockhart uh, starting in season two. So maybe they couldn't get to this, but there's a really famous story in the comics uh, about how Toy Man murders Cat Grant's son. And so that was one of the things that I always thought was a really big missed opportunity that they could have gone there and had a really cool story with Cat, with Wynn, with Kara. And I, I guess because things change so much with season two, maybe they were going there because they bring Cat's sons into the show. They do. <clears throat> And uh, it just doesn't go there. And I guess, unfortunately, that was one of the uh, things that got pushed when we when we went to the CW. I feel like Supergirl, more than some uh, like a lot of other shows, has had a lot of bumps along the road where you could see like maybe they were setting things up for like see a season down the line. But then like the creative team changed. And so that got thrown out. We talk, we joke a lot about like the forgotten storylines and characters <laughs> and things from Supergirl. But some of that, you know, is because say season one to season two, we go from CBS to the CW. We change lo filming locations. There's probably a lot of shuffling of like people behind the scenes and writers who didn't want to move to like Vancouver and, and actors that they couldn't get. And then we have like a similar thing happening in season three where they had to scrape 
all of the plans that they had for the back half of the season very quickly. And we see a very similar thing happen with COVID. So this, uh, this show has really um, not been lucky in a lot of ways uh, because behind the scenes stuff, I think has, has often scuttled some, probably some cool plans that they had. Um, It's like, uh, you know, they planned, but the TV gods laughed they laughed and laughed. <laughs> yeah, they did have some uh, problems. And I, I think that's uh, thinking about the way TV is done now versus in, uh, well, I shouldn't say now, we're, we're in the past. Uh, yes, this is so, 2016. Well, the way the way the TV is done in the future. <laughs> looking, this is 2016. What is future. a Disney Plus? What is an HBO Max? <laughs> what? Yes, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. That's, uh, that it sounds great. I mean, and HBO Max sounds wonderful. Uh, I'm sure it has a, a, a great catalog of uh, feature films and television <laughs> programs. Uh, but I don't know. Probably like probably a lot of great programming is on there. I wouldn't know. I'm from the past. <laughs> <laughs> but in the future, uh, I think TV of the future has an advantage over uh, something like a CBS's Supergirl because um, say with Netflix, they would uh, be able to plan everything out. I'm th- I'm thinking of things like The Crown, which is my current favorite television program. Uh, that they would have a plan. They they're like, we're doing six seasons, and this is what we're doing. Every two seasons, we're going to change a cast, and we have this all planned out, and this is where we're heading. This is what we're doing, and they have their certain set of episodes. And because of that, it's in my opinion, a perfect TV series. Like it's, <laughs> it's got two seasons left to go, but it's pretty perfect so far. So I think the format with that allows people to stick to a plan, know the expectation of the work that they're doing and know, you know, settle on a cast. Whereas in the, uh, the broadcast world, you have to, Netflix has kind of a, a schedule. It's like a loosey-goosey thing. Maybe it's coming out in, like in November. We, we don't have a date for it. We're going to just drop it whenever. We'll decide we that this. later. We can do this when you guys want. It's yeah. chill. <laughs> but, but with broadcasting and cable, you have to have a set date. You have to have a, a set schedule. You have to you have to follow all of these. Your episodes need to be less than three hours long. <laughs> Stranger things. Uh, <laughs> Now, I mean, I think that the dark side of the, like the Netflix model, and I'm speaking as somebody who's just imagining what the future would probably be like, <laughs> is that sometimes they set up these great like future seasons. I got um, really invested in Future Me, of course. Yes. Um, uh, Paper Girls on Amazon uh, Amazon Prime, and it was really good. It's based on a comic book series by I think Brian K. Vaughn. And I was like, this is so good. And we loved Paper Girls. And we watched the season. We were like, can't wait for season two. It got canceled. And it got canceled on like kind of a cliffhanger. And you could tell that they had a plan. Yeah. That they were where they were going to take the story. So sometimes, you know, it's starting to, um, honestly, the the streaming is starting to to feel a little bit more like the networks used to. Mm. Where things are getting canceled with no closure. Just kind of like sitting there. Um, but I do feel like there was like kind of a like a, a sweet spot back before all the streamers uh, popped up there. Uh, there was like 25 streamers and now 
they basically recreated broadcast television uh, <laughs> where like, yeah, I think when, when the crown started and that was probably why it was like during this time where like they could be really confident. It was really popular too. They weren't going to cancel the crown. Everyone loves it. So they can really like make like write their own ticket. Whereas Supergirl, I think was more at the, like the garrities of like what was going on behind the scenes. I just saw, Aaron asks what happened in season three to affect the back half of season three. So I don't remember all the details, but it was when Andrew Kreisberg, who was pretty apparently pretty involved in plotting out season three. He was an executive producer and mm-hmm. I think the showrunner. I think so. Yeah. And he was removed from the show um, for, I believe it was like sexual harassment. He's like, just not a, he's not a good dude. He's like a pretty, pretty bad guy. Yeah. But as, as a, if I remember right, as a result of that, everything, anything that he worked on had to get thrown out. Um, Why that is, I'm not sure. I don't know if that was a legal reason or if they just didn't want to give him the credit for it. I I never part understood. Of me feels like it has to have been like a, a legal thing, whereas like they would maybe they would have had to pay him. Oh, maybe like, yeah. Probably something. I feel like probably something either legal or from the network where they were like anything that he touched, you have to get rid of. Yeah. Because I I feel like the writers would probably have lean towards not doing that like if he was just even if he was plotting things out like a lot of other heads are in that room like it's not you know there's one person who's not you know he's not going off into a corner and writing a whole season so but i I have to assume it was like something legal but yeah that's that's what i think um uh so that that seems to add up but uh, Aaron, I guess uh, to fill fill in uh, some of those details of what might have been changed, we don't know fully how it was changed. But if you if you watch season three, I'd be curious to know if you feel when you're watching it, if if you feel a change towards the end of the season three. Because when I was watching it, I don't know about you, Morgan, I could tell something had shifted uh, because mm-hmm. everything, in my opinion, everything was heading towards. Uh, Alex adopting Ruby, young Ruby, who was Sam's daughter, and it seemed to be going there. And then all of a sudden, Sam lived, Ruby and Sam have a happy ending. Alex never adopts a kid. Uh, so a lot of that seemed to be different there. So I don't know if that also affected the Argo City parts of uh, season three as well, because that seemed really short. <laughs> it was like she went to Argo oh, City. Yeah. And it, it was a like they made that big deal of like Kara saying goodbye at Catco. And, you know, there was a whole montage of her saying goodbye to all of her friends. And then she goes to Argo City and then she just comes back and it's fine. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how much of the end of season three is changed, but I could tell a shift in the storytelling and the direction that it was going. Yeah, something definitely like moved around like the the end of season three is just a little messier i feel like it feels like it was kind of thrown together quickly and a lot of those storylines like you mentioned that seemed like they were building up veer zig when i thought they were gonna zag like you feel like you know where they're building up to and they're like no <laughs> and it feels like a last minute turn versus like, oh, you know, they set up these two pads and we just took one. It feels like, no, they were setting up the route, like Alex to um, adopt Ruby and then no. Yeah. So I, I would just be curious for, for people if if they thought 
that it seemed like it shifted because I always felt like season three was awesome. And then at the end of it, something it, it, it sort of, for me, degraded in quality a little bit. Um, but I guess uh, to shift it back over to childish things, um, Morgan, what did you think about when in this episode and what he was going through? Yeah, I thought this was a good uh, a good episode for Wynn to kind of give Wynn a like kind of a spotlight episode. He'd mostly been in the background up until this one. I think this is kind of his biggest episode in season one so far. Uh, and Jeremy Jordan's a really good actor, so I think we'd seen a little bit of him being able to, you know, do some stuff, but this is where they were like, okay, Jeremy Jordan, like you're going to have a lot of emotions. <laughs> you're going to feel a lot of things. <laughs> uh, you're going to have monologues. It's going to be great. And he was like, I will eat these all up. It's going to be great. <laughs> Don't you worry about me. Uh, <laughs> and I thought he did a great job that um, the moment where he kisses Kara and she pulls back. Oh, I felt so bad bad for him that's like just and you can just see it all over his face like he's like oh no <laughs> like I, I thought have, this was my moment I, I do have it a question for you about that because do you feel like Carl was leading him on or sending him mixed signals I, I don't think so I think in Kara's head I don't think that Kara had honestly put it together that he has had feelings for her and so like when she like held his hand I think she was just doing it as like a friend like hey you've been through something really tough but as Wynn who's like in love with her they're sitting close together she's like leaning towards him she just holds his hand it does seem like kind of the right moment to make his move well and it's not just that there's a there's a, a scene when they initially go to try to find toy man in like the arcade area and she tells Wynn stuff like Oh, I don't know what I would do without you. My life would be so different. And she says all of this stuff where I was like, Kara, <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to be his friend, but like you're you're telling him some stuff that I, I don't know. I kind of in rewatching it. Yeah, I thought if Kara didn't have romantic feelings for him, she may should have backed off some of that stuff because uh, I thought yeah. she was sending him some mixed signals. I can see why when thought the things that he did i think this is i uh, totally understandable that this episode would be the episode when it's like i think i think i should go for it i think i'm getting i think i'm getting the signal <laughs> and it's like no no you weren't yeah i think Kara really needed to be uh, and i i feel like wins crush on her is pretty obvious too so part of me wonders if Kara was being like purposefully oblivious like she didn't really want to deal with the fact that he maybe had a crush on her and so she like refused to see it um but in that way i think she was less careful with like the things that she said and the way that she said them because i think if she had thought more about the fact that like maybe when likes me a little bit she wouldn't have been like let me hold your hand and lean close to your face <laughs> <laughs> But that was a brutal moment when she pulls yeah. back and he goes, oh, no. Like, he's already really down. And this is it's like the final kick. Like, you just feel so terrible. He's having such a bad day. It just keeps getting progressively worse. And then, like, right from that scene, he gets kidnapped by his father. And his dad is like, it's going to be great because we're going to bond in the prison yard. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? Might as well. <laughs> Yeah, I bad. <laughs> yeah, I do. Now that you mentioned that, I I think that there could have been a better 
balance of things for Wynn in this episode because he does deal so much with his father and all of the turmoil. I mean, his father basically says, I'm going to force you to go and murder this man at this toy yeah. convention. And maybe something good should have happened to win just, at the end of this one episode. nice thing could have happened it, to it, it didn't have to be, you know, Kara returning his feelings or whatever, but something good, I think, should have happened to him. At least something upbeat. But uh, I, I I don't know I, what your thoughts are on the way they ended things, though. Uh, I know we're, we're going into Love Triangle uh, CW angst right off the top of this discussion, but um, <laughs> what, what did you think about them sort of um, ending the episode with, I don't know how this is going to be moving forward. What, what are your thoughts on that? I was surprised because I feel like Supergirl as a show up until this point has been kind of like leaving the characters in like pretty positive places with each other. And in this episode, they leave them in a really precarious position where uh, Car is like, well, we can still be friends, right? And we can still sit too close to each other on the couch and hold hands. And he's like, <laughs> I don't think that's going to work for me now. Uh, and I like the way that he kind of, he doesn't, it's not like he's blaming her. He's, but he's saying he needs to be truthful about his emotions and not bottle things up because that's why his dad turned out to, you know, uh, be a, a guy who puts bombs in teddy bears. And he's like, listen, I'm not saying I'm a bad day away from stuffing a bomb into a teddy bear, but <laughs> this has been a pretty bad day. <laughs> so, uh, and I think that that's kind of like very healthy for him to, to realize like, hey, I need to confront the stuff in my life that I've been letting just kind of sit by the wayside. And, you know, if I'm upset about something, I can't just put like a happy face on it and tell her everything's going to be okay. And I thought, you know, him saying like, I don't really know where that, that leaves us because he's kind of the person who needs to, to kind of heal and put his heart back together again, because he seems pretty cool. It seems pretty clear from this episode. She's not interested in him that way. And so he's kind of got to, got to figure out how he's going to deal with, you know, being her friend, um, and I thought that it was, it was nice to kind of leave the episode in that moment of ambiguity. Cause I feel like that is a really hard situation to navigate when, when those kind of feelings pop up in a, in a close friendship and it's one sided, mm -hmm. uh, because it really is kind of on wind to figure out how he's going to like work his way through it. Car is just sitting there being car hasn't been interested this whole time, continues not to be interested. So it's something that he really has to, you know, figure out. And if, some, sometimes that means that, you know, taking a little bit of a step back from that friendship because on his side, it's gotten a little bit too close and he's gotten a little bit too involved. Yeah, I, I think the boldness of the show to put a rift between those characters was surprising when I went back to it, um, just because I think when I was watching it, even though I had seen that episode several times before, I I was even like watching it, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Are, are they going to be okay? Like, I even even in rewatching it, I was concerned about their dynamic, and so I think I think that's bold for a TV show to do, uh, especially for the Supergirl TV series. Um, they they didn't really take those kinds of ch chances, in my opinion, uh, later on in the series. So for them to purposely put a rift between these 
two essentially best friends at this point um, was uh, was interesting to me. Um, uh, speaking of things with Kara and Wen's feelings, a uh, new Rachel asks, was Kara oblivious to Wen's feelings for her because she had feelings for James? What do you think about that, Morgan? I think that's probably true. Although in the pilot before she's like hubba hubba when James <laughs> walks in, in the door, <laughs> uh, it does seem like Wynn already has a huge crush on her that she is completely unaware of because she talks about going on a date and he's like, what? A date? Oh, yeah, you're uh, right. Wah, wah. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like uh, it's one of those things where it was like a long standing, uh, a long standing simmering issue where he has a crush on her and she doesn't realize that he has a crush on her and it doesn't really feel the same way. And I think that the James situation did not make things better because when James came into the picture, I think all of her, you know, romantic drama was centered on him. So she's like not noticing wind coming up from the, from the side, like, Hey, on your six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with, with things like this, I, I, I hate to be like this, but it's like, what's the point? Why why bring up Kara and Wen if you're never going to go there? I just personally, and this is why I hate love triangles. I just I hate them. I find them so pointless because in the end, you've you've put all this storytelling time into something that's not going to ever work out between two of the people in the love triangle. What is the point? The only point is the drama of it all and the drama is stupid. Oh, and yeah, so I hate I, it. I hated this love triangle in season 1. Like going back and revisiting season 1, it's not as bad as I remembered it being cuz I remembered like complaining about it all the time like I hate <laughs> the stupid love triangle. It made me like win less. Uh, because sometimes like a scene would end and when would be like, there she goes, she won't ever know I love her. And I was like, oh my God, get, get, get this off my screen. I can't deal with it. So I agree with you. I just think it's like, yeah, it's, it's completely pointless. Love triangles are almost uniformly terrible, uh, because they, they take up so much they like suck out so much oxygen from the storyline. And then whoever the main character kind of ends up with, you're like, I mean, how into that person could they have been? They had, a, they had a spare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to me, it's like, if you're going to go the love triangle and you're going to break Wynn's heart, you might as well take him the toy man route. You might as well do something because of it. Otherwise you're just doing something for nothing. So I, I know I it would have been predictable. It would have been predictable to do that, but at yeah. least it would have had a point to it. At, yeah. At least the storyline would have had some reason to exist versus him just being her friend. Uh, and they're not being a love triangle that I had to deal with. Yeah, I agree. I, I was watching this episode and I thought, man, I feel like Jeremy Jordan would have like a really great, like dark, win or gray win uh bad period win. of time bad win uh, he goes from sad win to bad win and then in the future dad win the full the full <laughs> trifecta um but yeah i feel like you know we got to see katie mcgraw really like crush it whenever she got to be kind of morally gray and you know less morally gray. <laughs> uh, and I think she was, I think that made Lena so much more of an interesting character. Cause you, there was always that aspect of like, I don't know what she's going to do. Honestly, <laughs> she's a wild card. And I feel like they could have played that up a little bit more with Wynn because I feel like after maybe season one, they, 
they struggled a little bit with what to do with Wynn. Uh, and they kind of relegated him to this like, um, oh, he's going to be the tech guy role. But they didn't have like a lot of story for him. And I feel like, honestly, like having like a little bad period um, would have given him a juicy story. Uh, and maybe would have been a little bit more interesting than like the Lena bad period always felt a little bit rushed and out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, so, there was not so, enough bad Lena for me. I, I mean, I kind of wish that there were more, that there was more of a connection with like, there, there could have been a really great scene of like Lena and Wynn bonding over stuff like that because they both do have bad families. <laughs> Uh, so I feel like there were some missed opportunities to have him like have some moments that were a little bit more morally gray or have some moments where he was connecting with some of the other characters after the, after some of the toy man centric episodes doesn't come up that much with him anymore. Yeah. They could have had when tinker with some toys and create his own uh-huh. gadgets and things, but a lot of missed opportunities with a lot of these characters and a lot of these storylines, which it, it seems like the toy man aspect of the show could have had more threads pulled in, in, in it than it did. <laughs> I see a comment from Rachel who says Lena, Wynn and Brainy bonding over their bad family members. Yeah. I feel like there, there were maybe some missed opportunities there. We did at least get to see Lena and Brainy bond over their poor abilities to manage their own emotions. Yes. So there's that. Lena was like, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your mind here about human the human condition. You take all your emotions, you shove them deep down inside, you never look at them again. <laughs> there for me personally, there's never been a negative implication to that. <laughs> and she like puts on her murder and leather jacket and walks away. And Brainy's like, that seems like solid advice. <laughs> well, Kara and Wynn in childish things do talk about how they have uh homicidal maniacs in their families so there is a little bit of that bonding that goes on in the episode and i guess uh there there is something to be said that it's not just a love triangle on the show cm gutier 74 says it's a love square between cara james and when so (laughs) i guess morgan now now that we've talked about uh part of that love square let's talk about the other one so uh lucy uh, has an interview, uh, which I don't know that she knows it's an interview when she goes to talk to Cat Grant, but uh, she has an interview <laughs> with Cat Grant about a possible job opening at CatCo, and that creates a little bit of a tension between Lucy and James. So what did you think about all of that in this episode, Childish Things? Uh, yeah, I thought that was uh, the, the the scene where she thinks, I think, that she's just there to hang out with cat she should have known honestly cat <laughs> doesn't hang out cat doesn't want to just have coffee with you uh there's always some ulterior motive with cat grant uh and she realizes pretty quickly like is this an interview <laughs> and it turns out it is she wants her to be legal counsel because she's like you're you're bored and I can tell. Uh, and and also, I recently had all of my emails hacked and it yeah. was a, a big legal concern for me. So I need, I need somebody uh, to come on board. Exactly. I need a new legal team and you seem to be here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Lucy's like, indeed I am. Uh, and she decides, and she has to sort of grapple with the idea of whether or not to take the job. I thought it was a little bit like, trying to create drama out of nothing uh, because obviously the drama is 
if Lucy's there, uh, it'll be harder for them to super friends. That is sort of the, that is sort of or the underlying drama for James and Kara to have some, or for James and Kara to have some, some inappropriate relationship, stolen moments in the <laughs> office, like that one, like that one time they hugged for a second, uh, <laughs> and everybody was real weird about it. Uh, <laughs> once you have a girlfriend, you can never hug another person again. We all know that, uh, but but I mean, even Cat was like, "Are you upset because you and James are have been flirting?" Car is like, I don't know what flirting means. Goodbye, and just jumps out the window. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that the reason that they give is like it's it's gonna be complicated when Lucy's here because we won't be able to all go super friends. And so maybe it's See, the best. I don't I don't think that's and what I don't it was buy at it all. for a second. I don't no. buy it for they look at each other like, oh no, not the super friends. And then they're like, hey. <laughs> Uh, so I don't, I don't buy yet. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, of course, part of the love square, uh, which was like in full effect in this episode. Very love square, much love square. Wow. Um, I, I thought that they were trying to make a thing over dramatic that like at the end of it wasn't dramatic at all. It's like, you can tell that Lucy and James are going to work out because they can't seemingly have like an adult conversation. Like, Hey, would it be weird for you if I worked here with you and we were just together constantly? <laughs> and he's like, no, you should do what you want. And she's like, oh, yeah, should I take the job? And he's like, yeah, I think maybe you should take the job. And she's like, good, I'll take it. I'll take this job. Even though you don't want me to take it. And he's like, lady, I literally just told you you should yeah. take the job. And she's like, good, good, I'll take it. He's like, yes, that's why I told you to do that. Uh, she was obviously that's upset That's not far off from the actual conversation. I, I, I had to like pause the episode at that point and like be like, what am I watching? Because uh, what she was upset about was that he wasn't excited for her to, to be working with him in the same building. And he was kind of a little bit like, oh, okay. Like he wasn't super jazzed about it. And instead of being like, Hey, are you not excited about it because you don't want to see me 24 hours out of a 24-hour day? Or is there some other reason? She was just like, well, I guess you don't want me to take it. <laughs> it's like, mm, he did just tell you, if you want to, you should take it. <laughs> uh, so they like, I, I feel like the dialogue in that scene, like, did, I mean, I don't like the love triangle to begin with. And then the dialogue in that scene didn't do it any favors. <laughs> I I think the excuse at the end, like the very ending scene when when James James says something like, it wasn't because I didn't watch you here with me. It was because I looked at your job and thought it was really cool and was jealous that you were excited about your job. And I was thinking about how I don't like my job. I thought it was like stop it stop all right, all right that's that's you all you right, like James. working with the people that you work with and you probably have a high paying job and you're probably well off because of it i i think you need to to cool it i think this is an excuse just not to <laughs> give away the fact that you have feelings for cara uh i didn't buy that for a second but i would like to think i don't i don't remember when uh our our uh, speculation that James lived under the desk <laughs> at Catco started. Uh, but I would like to think that his problems with Lucy being at Catco were maybe related to oh. her, her honing, you know, invading his space. And this is like, so this is like his man cave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's like, sorry, this is where I go to just bro down. You know, I can't. <laughs> 
no girls allowed in this <laughs> under the desk area. And she's like, what? <laughs> You're a tall man. How do you even get under there? He's like, you don't want to know, baby. And then he like hops into an under desk hammock. Uh, yeah, I I like I like this theorizing. I think that like he's like he's like James has got to have one thing for himself. Like his his whole place now, his home uh has probably been taken over by lucy they moved in together apparently between episodes and maybe at their or before thanksgiving (laughs) so they're like living together now and like he's like this is my one my one quiet place where i can think (laughs) not have to talk about the law Yeah, so I I uh, did not quite buy the James Lucy no. stuff in this, but but Lucy was likable in the episode. I thought uh, her interaction with Cat and them talking about Lois, I I thought was uh, nice as a, a Lois Lane fan to hear that conversation happen. So I I thought all of that was good. I just didn't like some of the 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 how James and Cara and their relationship was sort of seeping into the stuff with Lucy. I, I I don't like all of that, but, but that's just par for the course with the love square. The love square stuff wasn't great. I did like the, the conversation he, she has with Kat about Lois, because we get to kind of hear a little bit more about their relationship. And we hear more about like what's going on with this version of Lois Lane. And I love that she has a book that she's published already and, and it had a name and I can't remember, but it, it was, was really something funny. like a uh, time to soar time to. So- yeah. Something about soaring. I remember that. Yeah. A time to soar is the <laughs> title of Lois Lane's memoirs. And it sounded like Cat Grant had read it, which I thought was interesting. I think Cat Grant would have definitely read it. I think she would have read it with like a red pen in her hands. <laughs> and like she would have like just put catty things in the margins like no way or you're not that. That's not your real age. Uh, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> stuff like that. Just to like like a like a Lois Lane burn book essentially. I think her book became <laughs> Uh, I could, I could totally say she is a cat is like the definition of somebody who would like hate read something, uh, just because it makes her mad. (laughs) She comes across like she doesn't like Lois Lane, but I think they were friends. That's like my that's my read down inside. <laughs> yeah, that's my read on Cat and Lois's relationship in the Arrowverse. I think they were actually friends, but Cat Cat likes to pretend that they uh, have this great competition and that they're uh, always catty to for like better uh, catty <laughs> to each other. But I think they were actually friends and secretly respected each other. That's my thought on it, anyway. I like that. I think that she definitely respects Lois. I think that they probably were friendly. I think that she uh, enjoys uh, enjoys hating Lois. I think that that's like a, like a fun a fun pastime for her. It's just <laughs> anytime you can zing Lois Lane, like she's not going to take she's not going to like just leave that on the table. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that is a. Uh... That is uh, the the fun ad- dynamic between them. E- even though they never are on screen together, their, <laughs> their dynamic is is pretty fleshed out in the in the season. CM Gutierrez says, "I think Cat uh, and Lois were frenemies, and I agree. I think that's probably where they were. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, okay, so this is uh, a relatively small part in the episode, but I was curious, Morgan, what your thoughts were on Cameron Chase because we yes we read uh, <laughs> we read a Supergirl Rebirth, which featured Cameron Chase yes, quite a bit with the Kryptonian werewolf mm-hmm. uh, in those stories. Uh, so in uh, Rebirth, as well as the uh, DEO storylines in the comic books uh, there's a, a graphic novel a trade paperback uh called chase that features camera chase pretty heavily with the deo but here in uh the episode of supergirl season one she is not an agent of the deo she's a an, she's an fbi agent so i was curious about what your thoughts were on the portrayal of uh, cameron chase Yeah, Rachel in the chat says, also, wasn't Cameron Chase only in this episode when she's a DEO agent in the comics and an important character in Supergirl Rebirth? Um, Yeah, as I was re-watching this episode, uh, and I see Rachel also said, Cameron Chase definitely should have been a more important character. As I was re-watching this episode, first off, I was like, whoa, is that Emma Caulfield? Because the actress who plays... Uh, who plays Cameron Chase in this episode um, is a actress that I really enjoyed from Buffy. Of and course. in fact, of course, <laughs> Buffy. Uh, we're talking about like foundational bits of my personality. So if, I've, <laughs> if there's a Buffy actor anywhere, I'm like, I know exactly what episode you are on. But she was actually in Buffy, like a very prominent character. She was like a like one of the major characters in Buffy. And so to see her be in this like one episode guest spot felt weird for me it felt like something that you would usually cast like i don't know like not a name actor or actress in that's like been in something prominent like you would just cast whoever because the character had uh it was not fleshed out in any way honestly like any actor kind of could have been that character it was just like we've seen We've seen the, uh, you know, the police officers or the FBI agents in Supergirl all the time. They don't cast somebody who I recognize from a thing. So I was so confused if, like, first off, it's Cameron Chase. So that's like a DC character. So I Google, I was like, Chase, no way. This can't be Cameron Chase. And so I, like, looked it up and I remembered, oh, yeah, she was in Rebirth. She's a DC character. Like, what she worked for the DEO what's going on I was so confused and I wondered to myself like was there plans to make her like a character who was going to pop back up again in the future and then that just never happened and that's why they cast like an actress who'd been in you know some stuff in the past who like had some especially like genre um like you know like she's she yeah she's genre cred it's a it's a comic book show she was in buffy buffy has comics uh yeah so it's like is that why they cast anya uh (laughs) i it was a bizarre decision like uh, emma caulfield is a great actress why would you give her like the lines of like a uh law and order extra i don't (laughs) really know like the the there was nothing to that character. She just like came in to be like, when I'm suspicious, and he was like, I'm not hiding anything. And she'd turn her back, and he'd be like, I am. Um, <laughs> so she was like medium at her job at best. Also, <laughs> she was like so excited to shoot people who were like not who were just like standing in one place. Yes. Um, they shot 
and might and would have killed uh Wynn's dad if he just wasn't just straight up murdered him. Just straight up murdered him. They were like, put your hands up. And he like didn't put his hands up because again, a hologram. And they were like, All right, pump him with lead. And I was like, Whoa, isn't that like a totally out of left field? I don't think like, you can do that as a police I, officer. I feel like uh shouldn't a taser situation be in play, or I don't know, something less lethal than all of the guns. She's like, let loose all of the guns and the same thing happens in the um the toy convention when win is when win is there they they immediately go to shooting him they're shooting at the stage of a crowded toy convention with like children around it just seems like it feels it feels like uh agent anya is actually not very good at her job <laughs> but they didn't give the character any like backstory or any reason why you think that this is actually like a character from DC Comics if I hadn't read Rebirth if I wasn't aware that like Cameron Chase is like a DC character I would just think it's like a random FBI agent yeah uh, even when she and the other uh, officers or the military people whoever it was the FBI agents they go into the the place where they have the skee ball machines and uh, when they enter the door, she's like got the gun. Now, I'm not like a, uh, a a police officer. I don't know how to handle a firearm, but I don't think you enter a room with the gun up and just swinging it or swinging it around. I think they normally like I don't know what good gun etiquette is, but I would assume that you would point the gun down so that you're not going to like accidentally discharge the bullet. <laughs> you wouldn't actually just uh, like you wouldn't accidentally fire so you would like hold normally they hold it down and kind of walk around in the room but she was like up just like swinging it around i was like oh my gosh you need to uh maybe re you know revisit uh some of your uh training you're an fbi agent and you like walk into a room and you're just swinging a gun around it was so strange to me um but uh but i again i'm not an expert with firearms so maybe somebody else could uh, let us know what the etiquette is for that. But I don't think that that was handled correctly. Her and her whole team were trigger happy. I'm just going to say that <laughs> straight out. They were, they were ready to shoot something. They didn't care what it was really. Uh, yeah. I, I just thought it was so strange that like, why have her be Cameron chase? If she's just like a regular FBI agent that they're just using for one episode. Why cast like a name actress? It felt weird. Like maybe they were setting this character up to come back again in the future, but then she definitely never does. So the whole thing, like the whole thing was kind of jarring to me. I was like, why is Emma Caulfield here? Why is she Cameron Chase? I don't remember her ever showing up again in this show. No, so I know she's not coming back. <laughs> yeah, just this one episode. I I think if if it had been my show, which it wasn't, but it would have made sense to me that they would introduce her maybe as FBI agent Cameron Chase, and then maybe the DEO recruits her to become mm -hmm. an agent of the DEO, and maybe then she becomes director of the DEO at some point because Alex. Not going to be a director of the DEO. She can't. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just legally not allowed. <laughs> so maybe Cameron Chase could have come in and played a more important role. Because in the comics, she, Cameron Chase, she and Mr. Bones 
or director bones uh by that point uh cameron <laughs> chase and director bones are the deo when when i think about the the deo in the comics those are the two characters that come to mind so it's strange to me to see her as an fbi agent and not a deo agent so i yeah i think it's a a bit of a waste i think from what i remember back when the episodes were airing when the news came out that she had been cast and she was going to appear on the show it sounded like she was doing a favor to the showrunners like hey i'm just gonna pop oh. in and do this thing but it it does seem like a waste it, yeah she, she doesn't come back later she doesn't have a really maybe if she had an important role in finding toy man or you know uh, maybe she had been kidnapped by toy man or something big happened to her but nothing really happens to her as a as a character to to justify that so i i agree with you yeah it was just really weird i was wondering if there was like any behind the scenes stuff that we we didn't know about that they like had plans for the character and then they just scrapped them but i would think that something like that could have happened maybe between season one and season two possibly this is midway through season one and they never bring her back again to my knowledge in season one. So no, this is her only, only appearance on the show. So like, I, I don't know. Like that doesn't make sense to me in that case then. Like if they were going to try to build her up to be something, it would be like a Maxwell Lord situation. Yeah. She just fall off a cliff between seasons one and two and never be heard from again. <laughs> yeah. It would make sense if they wanted to save something like that for season two and, and plans change, but I don't know of anything like that having happened. I think she just was intentionally brought in as a one-off character. Um, so if anybody has any information differently to that, let us know. But as far as I'm aware, this was just intended to be a one-off uh, appearance by Cameron Chase in this episode. So really unfortunate because I, what bothers me about the Supergirl TV series is that they had the opportunity. They had six seasons to do something with the D.E.O., they could have done so many cool things with the DEO and brought in all these really special, unique characters that are just DEO related. And then they just didn't nope. do it. And the DEO became so boring. They were like, no, we don't care for it. It felt like in season one, they had ideas about the DEO and like what it was going to be and how it's going to kind of like operate in this universe. It feels like all those ideas kind of got thrown into a dumpster out back by season two. Oh, they definitely did because in this episode, Jean mentions that he could not operate at the DEO as Jean Jones because he is an alien. And I was like, <laughs> lots of aliens. Uh, Sweet summer passed, child. <laughs> passed by the DEO. Uh, another director was an alien as well. I mean, uh, actually it was most- a cool one. One could argue most of the directors of the DEO were aliens. <laughs> Does Alex even count? <laughs> and also by by the end of the series, being an alien was not uh, associated with uh, a threat anymore. It was like people were going to alien bars and no, there was no. alien amnesty acts and executive orders making them <laughs> citizens and making them, you know, have equal rights to everyone, even though that's well, not how things work under I, our, our uh, constitution. <laughs> I think that there was just a big sea change in between seasons one and seasons two about like the universe that the show sat in that I remember when we were talking about season two back in the olden days. I guess that's in our future right in now. In the because future, yes. Yeah, we're, we're in the still past. in 2016. Um, but I remember when we talked about it in the future, 
we were pretty <laughs> we were pretty jarred by like how different tonally season two the the beginning of season two was because the idea in season one is like there are two prominent aliens that everyone knows and that is Superman and now Supergirl and those are kind of the only aliens around. And then the Fort Ross escapees are like the other aliens, but they were obviously all in prison. Not all of them reformed. So <laughs> most of the aliens, right, were like uh, villains that she had to fight. By season two, there is a bar where people just chill out and kick back with a cold one and they're all <laughs> aliens and everybody knows about aliens. And of course, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my good friend. Uh, the timeline breaker. Oh gosh, what was his name? Amade. Amade. So yeah. So then in the like in the in the future, Amade is like uh, you know he's swanning around with Clooney like in the nineties or whatever. <laughs> he's in Vanity Fair. So apparently we've all always known about aliens, and I think that's kind of like the thing that drives me the most crazy is that they could not decide on like whether aliens were a relatively new thing that was like mostly a Superman thing or if aliens were chill and they were your next door neighbor. Like there's, <laughs> and the, the show would, would like veer wildly between people being like, Oh my God, aliens as if they were a new thing. And like, Oh no, these aliens, they're my friend as if they had been around from, and it never really made sense. So I think this is kind of a, a callback to the aggravation that will be uh, in our futures as, yes. uh, because we are in the past. We are in 2016. There was also <laughs> something that I thought was interesting with Jean was that he mentions, and I had forgotten about this completely, he mentions that if he continues to shapeshift as other people, he might eventually be permanently the Martian Manhunter Green Martian. Yeah, they Did dropped that. Catch yeah. <laughs> They were like, they put that into an episode and an executive came up to them and they were like, it's such a, such a fascinating uh, concept. And they're like, yeah, we, th we think so too. And they was like, you don't have the budget for it though. So he better, <laughs> he better stay in this form. And they were like, great note. Uh, because they clearly they didn't have that John Jones uh, transformation Martian budget. Uh, no. Not even a CBS. And obviously uh, they had a stick of gum and a prayer at the CW. So they didn't, <laughs> they didn't have Martian Manhunter money there either. But yeah, I was really surprised by that, uh, that storyline that they brought up because it is, uh, it's really never brought up again. Never. No. So and and like he a, shapeshifts quite a bit in the future. Quite a bit. We have a couple more uh, entries in our, like, Forgotten of Supergirl that we had actually forgotten. Uh, Cameron Chase. Why? Yeah. And then, uh, and then this whole thing with uh, John that if he, if he <laughs> changes enough, he'll face, his face will stay that way. <laughs> um, uh, I also was, like, a little bit confused with, like, so he breaks into Maxwell Lord's uh, evil compound, and yes. he sees uh, he sees the girl with the black Jane eyes. Hill. Yes, and he's like, "Well, that doesn't seem good." <laughs> and uh, he's he's a uh, shapeshift into Maxwell Lord, and he's like, "Hello, it is me. I have a, <laughs> a overinflated sense of my own ego." And the lady's like, "It's weird that you're so self aware today, Mister Lord." And he's like. <laughs> Alex Danvers could do much better than me. I'm going to go cry about it in this room. Uh, so he was chill and normal as Maxwell Lord, I think. I, I like how bad he is at 
pretending to be anyone else this season yeah. even as supergirl he was kind of bad at being her he was just like hello fair citizens <laughs> <laughs> it is not it is not a it is not an adult man but me a young woman supergirl <laughs> girl power etc uh, <laughs> like, like a classic shakespeare etc and then he like <laughs> walks out um but when the guard catches him is like i don't think that you're maxwell lord and he was like why not (laughs) (laughs) he's very like he's very like clay face in the harley quinn animated show where he's like trying he's like trying to be an actor (laughs) Uh, but he's trying too hard at it he's like that's that's the history of Clayface. is he at one point in his origin story was an actor one of the versions I, of Clayface was an actor. I love it. The 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 Clayface in Harley Quinn is just like so unhinged, and I I adore him. He's always like, I must get the pot. <laughs> <laughs> he like always talks like very over exaggerated. I feel like this is kind of like uh that's kind of what John was doing, trying to be Maxwell Lord. He's like, I'm evil, <laughs> and the 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 guard's like, I don't I don't think so, sir. Uh, but when he wipes his memory, he like wipes out the memories of his his family and his children and this also doesn't really connect with how we see him use his powers in the future i'm i'm talking uh with my psychic future knowledge (laughs) um because i mean although the brief period of time when he turns alex's brain into swish cheese aside (laughs) he's pretty targeted with those like memory wipes so i was so surprised in this episode where they're like he doesn't remember anything and i was like either jean was like i don't like the look of this guy or like uh, was he out of practice you think maybe maybe? he hadn't done it in a while but you're right when he wipes alex's memory uh he's supposedly although it was not very clear uh when all of that happened i had a lot of questions with the mind wipe (laughs) because the it mind was, my, was what it needed to be for the episode in question. <laughs> it was my impression that Alex's mind wipe uh, by Jean was just to remove the knowledge that Kara was Supergirl. And that that I thought that was the targeted wiping of her memory. But there were some episodes where it was like, well, I mean, I don't know. It feels like it's something <laughs> else now. Uh, but yeah, Jean should be able to, like he could have just wiped the memory of this Maxwell Lord being in the room. Yeah. And that could have been it. He but he wiped he wiped the memory, he wiped of, the memory of this guy's kids. <gasps> yeah. It, it was, was severe. It was pretty brutal actually. He was like, oh I, I said I didn't want to do this. And it's like what because you're incredibly bad at it. He only needed to wipe like literally like 60 seconds out of yeah. this guy's memory and instead he wiped out like his entire life he was just like honestly i don't think this guy's got a lot going on let's clean slate this <laughs> let's clean slate him uh yeah and then but then in the future he's like able to go into alex's memory and like take out the specific knowledge that car is supergirl but not wipe all of her it just seems very strange like we also see him wipe out like you're not going to remember the last five minutes kind of thing in the future. So I don't know. I guess they weren't as aware of like what they were going to do with his powers in this, or maybe we were supposed to think that he's so rusty that he doesn't remember how to use them. I don't really know where they're going with this. 
Or maybe they were trying to show the severity of the consequences of doing that. Although it doesn't really matter because in the future, because <laughs> it doesn't going to do it willy nilly. Carry through, yeah. Uh, they they kind of set it up as if like, oh, Hank has these powers that are you know that are dangerous and that he has to be really really careful about using. And then in the future, he's like a mind zap for you and a mind zap for you. <laughs> But I guess I do have a storytelling question for you about that since yeah. Morgan, you are a writer. So, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so do you think it, it, it had meaning in the story for this guy to forget his whole family other than that? Like he could have just, he could have just had the last five minutes of his life mind wiped and it would have been the same Essentially, the same result is that he would have forgotten that Jean had been there as Maxwell Lord. So did it even need to be that severe? It didn't. And I think the only reason to make it that severe would be to have it be part of John's storyline about like either I'm so rusty that it's incredibly dangerous for me to mind wipe people so I really shouldn't do it or um, you know these mind wiping powers or these you know psychic powers are really dangerous and something I have to get a control over something to do with like John confronting these powers or having to deal with these powers in some way that like leads back into his, his story but uh, and I remember season one medium. I don't remember that being a storyline in season one. And so I, yeah, there's no reason for this to have happened. <laughs> I think there is, I think they touch on that a little bit about how he's upset with himself and maybe we haven't gotten there in rewind yet. I cannot remember, but there is some regret from him and some hesitation from him to say, I can't do this anymore. I, this is not something I need to be doing, but of course, that doesn't carry on in the future. Uh, that does not get handled with the the same uh, caution in the yeah. future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he he eventually is completely chill with doing this. Like he just does it all the time. He's able to wipe out like two minutes of a person's memory, and it's not a big deal. So, like, yeah, it just feels like without that being like hung on something that has to do with like John and his powers, there was really no reason to. No reason to do that. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, a little strange, strange. choice. <laughs> but but I guess if you wanted to deal with the consequences of his powers, it does make sense. Uh, there is a, a question from CM Gutierrez that I think is actually an excellent question. She says, in this episode, we learn about John and his clothes are part of his shape-shifting abilities. Does that mean even his super suit is a function of his ability? Is he walking around with no clothes on? I think Typically, the Martians, because we see other Martians in their natural form naked. Yeah. Like the green Martians and especially the white Martians when we see the white Martians on the show. That is true with the white Martians for sure. So I think that's correct. I think uh, the super suit is uh, part of his shape shifting abilities. And if he was just his normal green Martian self, he would be uh, no clothes. Like that's, an the interesting one. <laughs> that's an interesting one because I, I hadn't really thought about that before. And now I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, because he can shapeshift into anyone. He's not in his like John Jones outfit, but just as Maxwell Lord, which would have been amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's a th- good question. Yeah, well, we'll have to think about that. Uh, the more that we see Martian Manhunter on the show 
Uh, but yeah, I think his natural alien self would just be uh, Nicholas, which I guess would have been the way the things happened on Mars. So Kermit style. Yeah, so that's just uh, that's just the way they rolled on Mars. Um, the only thing, other thing that we haven't talked about in regards to this episode, we talked a little bit about Maxwell Lord, uh, but one of the things that is uh, unique to this episode is the, the uh, date that uh, Alex oh, goes yeah. on with Maxwell Lord. Uh, what did you think about their uh, spending time together in uh, fancy clothing, eating fancy food? Yeah, that was weird. Uh, <laughs> I didn't care for it. Um, I thought Alex looked great. Um, and honestly, I I think uh, those two actors in scenes together are really good. I think that they have like good chemistry. I did not find that scene to be incredibly compelling. Um, I will say, I think I might have had to rewind it once or, or twice because I was zoning off on my phone i was like doing something else i was like oh oh no i'm podcasting about this i can't i can't just not pay attention to it i have to go back uh so it didn't really i alex looked great uh but it didn't really do a lot for me and i also feel like the scene that they had before where he tells her about his tragic backstory with his scientist parents who died that was way more interesting than what they were doing here. I don't feel like we got more layers to their like sort of cat and mouse back and forth sort of relationship. I don't feel like I learned anything like that great about these characters. I, it was, it really did feel like what it was in the story, which is like, I have to keep him occupied for like an hour so that uh, Jean can get in there and see what's going on, um, which wasn't like super compelling television for me. <laughs> well, I think that this that scene was a good example of a scene having multiple purposes. So you have the one the one purpose where uh, Alex is acting as a decoy, a distraction, so that Jean can get in there and figure out what's going on with Maxwell Lord and his facilities and his Jane Doe. Then you get uh, the fact that he plants something on Alex to then later, uh, spoiler alert, at the end of the episode, <laughs> he figures out that Kara and Alex are sisters, or specifically, Alex is uh, Supergirl's sister mm. so he figures that out because i think he had made that connection at the dinner and then also i think they were building in season one towards an alex and maxwell lord romantic relationship and so that would have been part of that so i at least even though it is kind of strange to go back and watch it now because nothing really came of it but uh that scene is actually a good writing example because it shows that it because every scene should do more than one thing that's what i've always heard about especially like screenwriting because at one point i i tried to learn about a bunch of things about screenwriting because i was going to be a screenwriter and write my own tv pilot uh -huh. and, that, and then that, <laughs> and that never happened um but one of the things that people always talk about is that your scene should be doing more than one thing it shouldn't just have one simple thing there should be either subtext or it should be pointing to something else should have some foreshadowing whatever it is and so i think that scene actually does a good job of that um and there's also something that's really funny about their dynamic is that maxwell lord has alex dambers in his phone as mata hari uh, <laughs> who was a dutch exotic dancer and courtesan who was convicted of being a spy for germany during 
World ah. War, uh, World War One. Uh, she was executed by firing squad in France. So that shows the uh, contempt that he has for her, <laughs> <for> Alexander. <laughs> uh, Aaron says Kyler Lee talks about their relationship being very cat and mouse. Uh, and Rachel says, I think the most interesting part about it was at the end when we found out that Maxwell had figured out the connection between Alex and Supergirl. So, yeah, that is a big part of that scene is uh, is Max asking her, like, why do you care so much about Supergirl? Like, what is the connection there? And he figures it out at the end. And I also think it's really interesting that during that dinner, Alex is playing him thinking that she has gotten the upper hand. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, John's gotten in and he's, you know, wiped out the the security guards entire life and all of that. <laughs> and then <laughs> at the end of the episode, we find out that he was actually playing her playing him. Yeah. <laughs> it was a double cross of a double cross because he uh he put a camera on her bag and I love I love it that scene because not only is it like a great uh Alex and Kara couch scene, uh some of my favorite scenes of the whole show where they're like bonding and they're watching TV, but it's also like it's a very Alex Danvers thing that she does where she's like, please, I am so much smarter than that guy. He thought <laughs> he thought he was running circles around me. I was running squares around him. And then it pulls out and you see that he planted a camera on her. And he's like, he's smart now. <laughs> and not just a camera. Like he sees in Kara's apartment. In her apartment. In their intimate moment of eating pizza with a blanket over them on the couch, watching a movie. Kara's got like, Kara is in the Supergirl suit and she's like got her head on Alex's shoulder. And like, they are like sister bonding time, seriously, in the place where Supergirl lives. It's not just like he sees them somewhere. He sees, like, he knows where they live. He sees inside Kara's apartment. <laughs> he sees her in her house with her Supergirl suit on. So he definitely, I mean, he played Alex like a fiddle. Uh, but it is funny that right before that, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm an I'm an expert trained in body language. And uh, I can't <laughs> I can figure these things Don't out because I'm a fancy me. DEO agent. Don't you worry about me, Kara. One day I'm going to be director of the DEO. <laughs> Just me, myself. <laughs> I do think that there's like there is something a little bit funny about like uh, Alex sometimes. Uh, like buys her own hype a little bit too much, uh, and we see her thinking like, "I got this. I don't even need help. I am, I am the spy." And uh, <laughs> and then you know, obviously, he's spying on them. So maybe she should have been a little bit uh, less buying her own uh, her own issues of Alex's awesome magazine. I'm pretty disappointed that she did not check her stuff that she brought <laughs> back with her right? after meeting with Maxwell Lord. That's a really slack. Aaron also mentions Alex perfectly placed her purse so that he gets like a perfect view of them on the on the couch. Oh my gosh, uh, the perfect composition for it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, there is that. And also seem, yeah, uh, seem Gutierrez 74 says the Danvers sisters were watching game of Thrones, which is very fitting for the moment. The games they're all playing. Ooh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it's also good because obviously this is an episode about toy man. Mm. Toy man plays games, which are games. 
<laughs> it all comes back around together. <laughs> well, there is something to be said about that, that this episode and the season are uh, pretty well written, I would think. So uh, it's it doesn't surprise me that uh, the Game of Thrones choice in that would be intentional and on point for the episode. Uh, well, Morgan, were there any other things that you wanted to, to talk about that we didn't? Or do you have any final thoughts about this episode? I think we covered this one really well. Uh, but yeah, I really liked this one. I thought it was a really great episode. There was a lot of storylines going on, but it didn't feel too crowded. I think that it gave Win a lot of uh, character growth and character progression and like really got uh, the audience to know who Win was. It gave him a great backstory and like an interesting uh, character journey. So yeah, I think that this was a really, again, another really great season one episode that was just kind of like doing its thing really well. Yeah, I have no complaints except for Cameron Chase mishandling her firearm. Uh, <laughs> that, that might be my biggest complaint about the episode. I feel like my biggest complaint was was the Cameron Chase thing being so weird. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, otherwise a solid season one episode. So I'm glad that we're getting to revisit these episodes because it's nice to watch uh, good episodes of Supergirl. So <laughs> I hate to say that. I, 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 I'm in the past saying that about future episodes. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, ho- I hope the show doesn't take a really think, quality downturn towards the end of the show. I think the show's going to go out on a high note involving <laughs> involving no lizard people. That's my prediction from 2016. <laughs> uh, speculation uh, planted in January 2016. We'll see how that pans out. See if Morgan is right. That would be great. really, really specifically correct if that <laughs> really uh, pinpointed uh, a prediction for the future. So we'll, we'll have to see if that comes true. But I guess in the meantime, let's uh, hop back into the Legion Cruiser. We're going to go back to 2022 and maybe we'll find out if you were right. Uh, we'll see. So, so we're going to uh, go back to the future. <laughs> Turns out, now that we're in 2022, there were lizard people at the end of Supergirl. me was so much younger, so much more <laughs> naive, but still very uh, smart and very uh, yeah. intuitive. I think so. I think so. Weird that we uh, we kept the same sweater for that long. <laughs> really committed to it. <laughs> if if uh, it still fits and it's still you know good, what? why do you, we why do you need to get rid of it? <laughs> Uh, so that is a uh, fun to uh, come back to the future and see how things, how how they have changed and how the show has changed and maybe how we have changed. As how people. we have changed? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think the lizard person did change me fundamentally in some ways. <laughs> like they changed for some reason into a lizard person. <laughs> Still unexplained. We will never know. We'll never know. I hope they never explain it to us, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) There's no explanation that would be better than the why uh, in my head. (laughs) Don't ruin that mystery for us. We like it as uh, hidden and unexplainable. All right, uh, Morgan, uh, shall we get into some feedback? Yeah, so Daryl wrote in with some feedback about childish things, writing, seeing Lucy on Supergirl fills me with anguish because I know what is coming for her in Superman and Lois. Mm. Going from such an incredible person on Supergirl to essentially a cult leader's lackey on Superman and Lois. What is going on on that show? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, season two uh, had the uh, introduction of Lucy Lane to that series in the context there. She is played by the same actress, but it's a different context and a different uh, backstory for her. And she, you would love it. She's she's tied up in a cult. Love it. She goes really hard uh, in the cult um, and really creates a rift between the Lane family over it. Uh, and, and she's... She's not quite the successful, I just moved into town, but I don't need a job. I, You know, it's not like I had to pay any bills. I just moved into town. Mm. I'm fine. I don't need a job. She's not quite the successful Lucy Lane who just takes a job because, hey, that would be fun to do. Not because I need the money for she, paying. Well, she's got, to be fair, uh, she's got that lawyer money. So, yeah. <laughs> And I guess she's living with James. So why does she need money? She can yeah. just uh, use James' She's going to figure it out for a while. pay for everything. <laughs> so it's not like uh, she um, is the success. Lucy Lane and the uh, accomplished Lucy Lane, who would become uh, not only Catco's uh, head of legal counsel, but also director of the DO, who was also in the military. Uh, she has none of that on Superman and Lois, and she is simply a follower of a cult leader. Uh, so that is a downside. Okay. The upside to that, though, I will say the season is pretty good. Ah, the portrayal okay. the portrayal of Lucy Lane not so great a lot left to be desired but the season though the storyline is pretty interesting interesting well I'm gonna have to catch up at some point in time Car <laughs> uh, uh, Daryl goes on to say Car is very strange she doesn't want to listen in on Cat and Lucy but doesn't hesitate to listen in on Wynn talking to Cameron Chase that is a good point uh, she has some selective ethics there on her listening in. Uh, Daryl says, Jean might be worse at undercover work than Kara. I think the security guard deserves all of our sympathy. Why does Kara not use her x-ray vision on the box with the doll? Yeah, that is that is a great a question. Great question. Um, I honestly hadn't thought of that. But yeah, she should have done that for there sure. Should, there should have been like a little piece of dialogue like, oh no, the boxes made of lead or <laughs> yeah, lead preventing me from seeing it. One bit of dialogue would have helped that along. Or like her trying to do it and she can't and you see that it's lead, something like that. Uh, because, I mean, it's just a little planted doll uh, that uh, she thinks is real. So that is something that I think, but at least Supergirl was trying to save a life. She, she thought there was somebody in trouble and was trying to save a small child uh, trapped in a suitcase of some kind. So uh, <laughs> it probably would have been smart to see her uh, use her x-ray vision, but I at least like that Supergirl was uh, heroic in that moment, even though she wasn't portrayed as very smart and using her abilities. <laughs> uh, so there is that, I guess. All right. Well, uh, thank you for uh, for your sharing your thoughts, Daryl. Uh, I think now it is time maybe uh, for us to do some snap judgments. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. Okay, uh, so our first snap judgment. More sinister toy man weapon. Throwing star yo-yo or teddy bear bomb. 
<laughs> Everyone who is watching the live stream in the chat, feel free to put your picks for the snap judgments in the live chat and we will check them out. Um, it's also really interesting that we're playing snap judgments uh, in season one because we did not have snap judgments during That's season one. True. So it's fun to to play them here. Okay, so throwing star yo-yo yo-yo or teddy bear bomb. I think that the throwing star yo-yo is much more sinister and I think is a really clever use of a toy gadget to be something very serious and dangerous. I thought it was, I thought it was cool. Yeah. I think the, I think the yo-yo absolutely because the teddy bear bomb while menacing, I don't know. There's something about the, uh, the yo-yo that was like kind of scary that the way that he was using it in the jail to kill all those guards. Yeah. He, he was using it forwards and backwards oh, and i yeah, guess he was good at was it. it was he walking the dog at some point with him like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like doing all the tricks <laughs> i don't Wouldn't know it be amazing if he like he got too into doing the tricks he was like <laughs> the guards like standing at the end going like what are you doing man he's like sorry i just got too into it <laughs> <laughs> but he was he was slinging that yo-yo like he had been practicing with it i guess that's what he was doing while he was in prison he was he was brushing up on his yo-yo skills um, better Supergirl moment, sucking up the poisonous gas or freezing the explosion at ToyCon. I thought the freezing the, the ToyCon explosion was strange. Uh, I guess it's the, <laughs> I guess it's the only way out of that, but then you're, you're breaking all that glass so that all the sort of the glass, the icicles or whatever are falling on the people. So yeah, you're, you're saving them dangerous. from an explosion, but it would still cause harm. I don't know how those people walked away without getting cuts or, you know, impaled by an icicle. Uh, so I'm going to say sucking up the poisonous gas because at least she sucked it up. She saved everybody and she got rid of it. And that was a to me, that was a cleaner save for Supergirl. Yeah, I, I'm going to go sucking up the poison gas, too, because <clears throat> when she did the freezing thing. It seemed dangerous when the explosion went off and like all it, like the f the frozen ice burst out and you would have to feel like in like a like a more realistic scenario some of that sharpenels like getting people. Oh, like some people yes. are like gonna go need need the emergency room because they have a big piece of icicle in their neck. <laughs> so, feels like uh the sucking up the gas was like a uh, a less dangerous a less dangerous one. Yeah, it would it would be good if they had told everybody, you know, get down under a table or, you know, or leave the room or whatever. And then the explosion just happens and all the icicles and stuff just kind of did their own <laughs> thing where nobody was around. But it, it didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, Aaron comments that the freezing didn't make much sense. And I think we both agree. <laughs> all right. What's the biggest writing mistake uh, by the show regarding Cameron Chase? that she was an FBI agent instead of a DEO agent, or that she only made one appearance? Uh, they're, I mean, they're both bad. Uh, yeah, they're both but, bad. But I guess I would say only made one appearance, because maybe she could start off as an FBI agent and then in multiple appearances become a DEO agent. So I, I would be, I would have been okay if that had been her starting point. Yeah, I agree. I think it's worse that she only made that war that one appearance because she could have, you know, she could have gotten recruited into the DEO, maybe after some other, you know, some other episode 
that included the FBI where she's like, they're like, I think you've got the right stuff, Chase. And she's like, pew, pew. And they're like, you have to stop shooting people, though. Like, that's <laughs> pretty important. She was like, I can try, but I'm making no guarantee. And they're like, that one's a wild card. <laughs> I think that they they could have done some stuff with her. Listen, in my ideal scenario, she comes on board. They're like, Chase, stop shooting people. She's like, I'll try my best. And then <laughs> suddenly there's a new sheriff in town at the DEO. Maybe somebody Ooh. who doesn't mind that she shoots all those people. <laughs> is he just a sharply dressed bag of bones? Yes, he is. <laughs> Director Bones comes in. He's like, you know what? I like it. I like Chase's methods. And then there's like a whole thing. It would have been amazing. Oh I'm my saying. gosh. That would have been so great uh, <laughs> to, to have the, the unruly DEO who's breaking, breaking all the, uh, the rules and the standards that uh, everybody is familiar with just, you know, going, going crazy. Um, I, th- I think it's also possible that maybe Cameron Chase, because, you know, Alex uh, claimed that she was an FBI agent. But that was just the story that she would tell people out in public because, you know, the DEO is supposed to be a clandestine secret organization that the public was not aware <laughs> of. So she would claim that she was an FBI agent, but really she was an agent for the DEO. So maybe Ooh. maybe Cameron Chase was a DEO agent, but she just claimed to be an FBI agent. And we didn't hear that at all uh, explained. But I guess that could have been the way uh, they were going. Yeah, I could see it. We have one last snap judgment from the chat. It's from Aaron. Aaron says, if you were Win, would you rather Cat not know you at all or Cat know you well as Toy Man's son? Oh, yeah. Cat not know me at all. I think that's definitely the way to go. Cat not knowing you at all seems safest, honestly. Because <laughs> uh, remember when Cat realized who he was and immediately was like, "If uh, if you weren't the only IT person, I would fire you for being slow." And he's like, "Lady, you didn't even know who I was an hour ago." <laughs> it's better if she doesn't know who you are. Yeah, then she doesn't know enough to fire you yeah. or, or yell at you. Uh, so I think that's probably safest. <laughs> yes, I I think it's a because because Cat knows most things. She picks up on most things. Uh, so I, I would think that you would want to have some boundaries in her knowledge. So definitely wouldn't want her, her to know me as a toy man's uh, daughter or son in that situation. So definitely want uh, Cat Grant off your radar. No judgments on your snap judgments. Okay, well, it's been really fun to play Snap Judgments in Season 1 episodes because uh, uh, Season 2 with the uh, appearance of Snapper Car is how we came into Snap Judgments. So we never did them for Season 1 episodes. So lots of fun to do that. So I guess now that we have done our episode discussion and talked about childish things from Season 1, I guess it is time for us to get into some Supergirl Radio and some DCTV podcasts. If you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podchaser, and Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on 
and inspired by the CW's Supergirl TV series. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our Supergirl Radio live streams, make sure to subscribe to the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel and hit that notification bell to get notified when we go live and wired. DC TV Podcast also has a Tee Public store, so if you're in need of new DC TV related t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, onesies, mugs, notebooks, pillows, or stickers, go to supergirlradio.com and click on the Tee Public store link at the top of the page. Supergirl Radio, Superman and Lois Radio, the Flash Podcast, and Legends of Tomorrow Podcast, Black Lightning Podcast, Bad Woman Podcast 2, and Titans and Doom Patrol Podcast just for you, Justice League Dark Podcast, Green Lantern Podcast, Star Girl Podcast, Strange Adventures Podcast, and finally my favorite of bunch, DC TV After Dark, where you're allowed to say and since Childish Things was about Toy Man, we have some game-related designs in the DC TV podcast T Public Store we would like to suggest. Yeah, so if you are holding your own game night, we have game night shirts for you uh, that that uh, appropriately say this is my game night shirt. Uh, so if you are having a game night or are going to a game night, you will be appropriately dressed for that. And uh, in the future, at some point, we'll probably have another Supergirl radio game night. Uh, so that will also be something appropriate to wear for those future live streams and episodes. And we also have Snap Judgment merch. So if you want yeah. a, a hoodie, a T-shirt, a mug, stickers, we've got all that stuff for Snap Judgment. So you can get a uh, custom uh, Sarah Louver, a.k.a. Uh, Comicer Girl uh, design of Snap uh, Snapper Car. So you can get Snapper Car actually doing some snapping, uh, which the show did not do. But here on Supergirl Radio, we're big on Snapper Car snapping. So uh, if you want to go check that out, we have lots of designs in the DC TV Podcast T public store for your game night needs. So very exciting stuff. And uh, so we also uh, need to tell people about our uh, DC TV plugs contest we're going to extend it for a few more weeks uh actually not a few more weeks just for one more week now at this point uh, it's going to be uh over on october 31st at 11 59 p.m uh so if you want to uh get those recordings into us to help promote the podcast of the dctv podcast network on supergirl radio so basically you would just read off the uh, the names of the podcasts uh, in the DC TV Podcast Network, uh, Supergirl Radio, The Flash Podcast, Legends of Tomorrow Podcast, The Lichuation Room, DC on HBO Max Podcast, Stargirl Podcast, Superman and Lois Radio, Green Lantern Podcast, The Sandman Podcast, Justice League Dark Podcast, and of course, DC TV After Dark, everyone's favorite a show on the network. Uh, you would just uh, record yourself doing those plugs, and you can do it as creatively as you would like. It's your format, your uh, recording, your portrayal of this, of being a, uh, a person doing the plugs on the show. And you would just email that recording as an MP3, a WAV file, or an MP4 audio file to supergirlradio at gmail.com. And uh, so this is your your plugging of our podcast network that we will then play on Supergirl Radio 
uh, until things change in in the future, because I'm sure we will have new shows uh, and shows may be taken away in case, uh, unfortunately, if a show gets canceled, you know how things go with uh, some of these things. So just in case lineups do change, um, we uh, will probably have to do new plugs in the future. But for the meantime, uh, these are the podcasts on the network that we need updated uh, plugs for. So if you are interested in having your uh, wonderful voice on Supergirl Radio, uh, please uh, check that out and uh, record something for us and send it into supergirlradio at gmail.com. And the deadline for this is October 31st. At 11.59 p.m., but maybe we'll give you a few extra minutes. <laughs> we'll, we'll maybe give you some extra time. But uh, October 31st, definitely let's get those in uh, by then. By Halloween, by the end of spooky season, uh, please get those in. We'll we'll be giving away some Art Balthazar books, and maybe I'll let you pick something from the T Public Store. So we've got some uh, goodies at the end of that recording for you. So definitely get that in if you want to be on the podcast and you'll actually be doing Morgan a favor yeah. uh, so that she does not have to do those plugs. Cause I will make her do those plugs in the future. Don't, don't if make, we don't make me, <laughs> if we, if we uh, don't have uh, some winners for this uh, contest. <laughs> so uh, that, that is something that we are going to run for one more week. So get those in if you would like to participate. And we would like to thank our Legion of Super sponsors for supporting the Supergirl Radio Patreon. These people are Michael, Sam, Anne-Marie, Yvonne, Nicola, Leslie, Abby, Irmgard, Miriam, Nicole, Faith, Brian, Ethan, and Danny. And if you would like to also become a super sponsor, you can go to patreon.com slash supergirlradio and check out our monthly levels. Well, you can also find me on Instagram. I'm on the gram at the Derby Kid, and I'm also on the social media platform Vero at Derby Kid. Uh, if you want to follow me on the socials, posting pictures and things. And you can also find me on my personal YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. Uh, I'm going to eventually get back to my uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice uh, critical reception live streams, which are on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. Just have had a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on this fall. So unfortunately, that has cut into my live streaming time. But I definitely plan on getting back to those to finish up that project. So that will be something to uh, keep an eye out for. So if you want to give the channel a subscription and uh, hit the uh, get notified thing on the live stream, and that'll let you know when I'm going to go live for those things. If you're interested in talking about art criticism. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mojotastic. You can also find me as a co-host on DC TV After Dark, where we should be dropping an episode all day now nice also, someday soon and uh and also on the legends of tomorrow podcast where we are uh moving right along in our spooky sessions and we'll be talking about hocus pocus 2 and um the audio drama on audible impact winter uh before the end of the spooky mm. season uh so definitely want to check us out over there and uh, and and join us for a spooky good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, it seems like uh, an audio, like a radio. Show. Are you doing a uh, a, uh, a radio show? Is that is that what I heard? 
So it's it's uh no we are we're covering an audio drama on on audio Audible. Drama. Okay. It's really hard to say audio drama on Audible. Uh, yes. But it's it's basically like a narrative. It's kind of like a narrative podcast, but um the way that it's written is not like um like somebody reading uh like an audio book to you. It's more like actors saying lines so oh. like there's there's no like this person walked through the snow right it's like this person being like i'm gonna go walk through the snow <laughs> so <laughs> so they don't really have like those action lines to tell you what's going on so it all has to be done through like acting and dialogue that it's sounds really, so familiar it seems like we have both participated mm. in something like that before Mayhaps. where we, we were actors in an audio drama <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then, like we'll be somewhere, and there'll be a bee, and Mike will be like, "Do the Thelma Vinks and Mink's voice," and I'll be like, "My bees." <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna listen to us doing an audio drama, uh, you should the, listen the to fakest. The fakest. Yeah, <laughs> go check out the fakest on all the podcasting platforms. Uh, uh, Morgan is a phenomenal, versatile actress uh playing multiple parts so <laughs> yeah i i just played myself but morgan actually did some acting uh so definitely go check that out <laughs> she's an actor like uh clayface <laughs> uh, be, being an actor actor uh, so uh yeah so that's interesting that there's another um audio a drama podcast that you're going to review in the legends of tomorrow podcast i'd be curious about your thoughts and amy's thoughts on that yeah. because the two of you have had active you know voice acting audio drama experience well is it was interesting because we were just going to cover the first episode for the podcast and the first episode's like 20 some minutes and we listened to the first episode while we were going somewhere and it stopped and Mike and I kind of looked at each other and we we're like so we're just going to listen to this whole thing right uh so we really liked it um, but it's it's definitely a cool uh, cool form of storytelling. Yeah, I think it's uh it's it's interesting. It's sort of bringing the old radio dramas back, yeah. which which I like. I'm I'm glad that this has become a thing uh, that's happening on uh, on podcasts now. So I would like to think that Bill Meeks and the Fakus really started that trend in getting in getting that uh, to come back in. So I would like to think that we were on the ground floor of that uh, genre of podcasting well very cool well i'm excited to hear about that in the spooky sessions for the legends of tomorrow podcast but i think that's going to do it for this episode of supergirl radio so until uh, next time i'm still, still rebecca johnson and i'm still morgan glennon and thanks for joining us for supergirl radio rewind <laughs> McGurk! I Do love typing. Do not mess with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther Boardroom or Ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio.